Louisiana's Way Home by Kate DiCamillo, Chapter 21. Burke and I were in the woods. We were sitting together under a tree, and Clarence was somewhere where I could not see or hear him, but I knew he was there because he did not ever go too far away from Burke. And that was nice. That was comforting. The sun was still shining, and the world was still spinning, and Reverend Obertask had not removed the curse from my head. But I felt different somehow. I looked at Burke and said, I'm going to tell you what was in that terrible letter, and the first thing you need to know is that the flying elephantes do not exist. The flying elephantes do not exist. I hated that sentence. I hated it, but I had to say it. What do you mean they don't exist, said Burke? I mean, there were never any flying elephantes. I don't know who my parents were. And then I went ahead and told him everything, all of it. I told him about young Granny and how her father had looked at her and then turned and walked away from her and how that was when the curse truly began. I told Burke about how Granny found me in in the alley and picked me up. I told him that she was only someone who had found me and that I was not related to her at all. I told him that whoever Granny was, she was gone now, that she had left me and that I was alone in the world. Dang, said Burke when I was done. Well, I guess the good news is that if she ain't no relation of yours, then the curse ain't your curse. What, I said? It ain't your curse. It ain't on your head after all. I'm not cursed, I said. I reckon not, said Burke. Not the way I figure it. I lay down in the grass. The world was suddenly spinning faster and faster. Who was I without the flying elefantes? Who was I without Granny? And who was I without a curse upon my head? I felt as light as air. I felt as insubstantial as the ghost of a cricket. Maybe I don't exist at all, I said to Burke. You surely do exist, said Burke. I know it for a fact. He looked over at me, and then he stood up. He whistled, and Clarence came flying to him and landed on his shoulder. Stand up, Louisiana, said Burke. No, I said. You got to stand up. No, I said again. The winds of fate had deposited me in the alley of the five and dime, and then the winds of fate had picked me up and put me in the woods in Georgia, and that was where I was staying. I was never going to move again. I was worse off even than Pinocchio, a wooden puppet, who at least had a father who loved him and kept searching for him, not to mention a blue fairy who showed up from time to time. I lay on the ground, and Burke stood over me, and Clarence opened and closed his wings again and again. The sun came beating down through the trees and landed on Burke's arm and lit up Clarence's feathers. The world was beautiful. It surprised me how beautiful it kept it kept on insisting on being. In spite of all the lies, it was beautiful. In her letter, Granny had said that I smiled at her in the alley of the five and dime. Was that true? Louisiana said Burke. What, I said. Don't you want to go and find your granny? No, I said. I don't think so. I don't know what I want. I don't know who I am. Okay, said Burke. All right. We'll figure this out. Didn't you say you had a dog and a cat and friends in Florida? Buddy, Archie, Ramey, Beverly. Yes, I said. Didn't you say Florida was where you belonged? Yes, I said. All right, then, said Burke. You need to go home. Burke was right. I needed to go home. I stood up. I said, 
What direction is Florida again? Burke rolled his eyes. He said, I'll help you, all right. I'll go with you. Me and Clarence both. We need us a map and a bus schedule, and we'll go to Florida. First, we went to the goodnight sleep tight to collect my belongings, but the door to room 102 was locked, and when we went to the motel office, Bernice told Burke to get out. You thief, she said. Leave here immediately. I'll wait on you outside, Louisiana, said Burke. Bernice's hair was still in curlers. My goodness, I was tired of seeing those curlers. I was tired of seeing Bernice, too. What do you want, she said to me. I am here to collect my belongings, I said. No, said Bernice. Your grandmother has absconded, and I do not want to hear whatever hard luck story you might have about that. I don't want to hear any of it. You will get your suitcase when the bill is paid, and the bill will only be paid when you have sung at the at the funeral. I stared at Bernice's head. I concentrated on one curler in particular and stared at it just as hard as I could. I stared death rays into that curler. I'm not afraid of you, I said. Good, said Bernice. I'm not afraid of you either. I'm tired of people taking advantage of my good nature. I wondered what good nature she was talking about. The funeral is at noon tomorrow, she said. Everything I owned was in that suitcase, and it, I did not have the energy for a battle of the wills. Fine, I said. I will sing at the funeral. You bet you will, said Bernice. Be here at 11.30 tomorrow morning. Okay, I said. And maybe, as an extra special surprise for me, you will actually remove the curlers from your hair. I walked out of the office, and Burke was waiting for me. He had gotten me peanuts from the machine. I can't leave yet, I said. I have to sing at the funeral tomorrow, or else I can't get my suitcase back. And I can't leave my suitcase behind, because I have already left too many things behind. That works out fine, said Burke. It'll give us time to plan out the whole thing. You can stay at my house tonight, and tomorrow night, and we can leave early on Saturday morning. I said, yes, that is exactly what we will do. We will leave. I felt a sudden wave of weariness. My goodness, I was tired of leaving places. For someone who did not actually have a curse of sundering on her head, it seemed to me that I was involved in quite a bit of sundering. <laughs>